Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nicole. Hey there, Shelly. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You feeling better? I am. I'm getting there slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. Getting a, a surgery when you're older is not quite as easy as when you're younger. Mm-hmm. So, and it's a different surgery. But yes, I am recovering a little by slow. How are you? Good. Yeah. I mean, I said it last time, but I'll say it again. You look good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. That's all Maybelline can fix. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're doing good. We're just, you know, same old, same old. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the middle of a snowstorm right now because we're recording this. Right. I know. Everything really coming down hard too. It is. Yep. So this week we're talking to Michelle Stern from uh, Parenting Pooch. Uh Uh-huh. She does like classes and consults on how to prepare your dog. Nice. For your baby. Yeah. I'm wicked excited about this one. That'll be great. But first, let's do our favorite of the week. Ooh. You go first. <laughs> my favorite of the week has been my favorite since I've had surgery, and that has been Instacart. So mm. this is to me to do delivery anything. And I'm like, what could I possibly do? I cannot push a carriage. I can't do a basket because... I've had so many issues with this left shoulder that I have overused my right arm. So I have tendonitis in my elbow that I've been dealing with. So I can't support the weight of a basket. Plus you would then need your left, you know, like I just can't grocery shop, like just bottom line. So to, instead of having to depend on other people and their schedules, it's so convenient. Right. I think a lot of people have been using it since COVID too. I think so too, which is such I mean, God bless the drivers out there doing it. I really appreciate it now more than ever. So mm-hmm. I think that's a good idea for those who can't go out. Yeah. And yep. tip your drivers, people, tip them, tip them, ship yes, in yes. the car. They are out there and yep. you know, exposing themselves to COVID so that you don't have to. That's right. Um, and let's get real. It's not like they're making mega money doing it. <laughs> so right. They, they, I mean, shipped in his car do not pay right, very well. So because they're expecting people to tip their drivers and make up the difference there. So it's kind of like waitressing if you don't tip your waitress. It's not even about, you know, when I was a waitress, the government kind of estimates how much you would make in taxes, in tips and taxes you on that money. Did you know that? <sighs> so if you are a waitress and you don't get a tip, the government is still going to assume that you did and tax you on it on a tip that you never received. So if you don't Dang. tip your waitress, you're not only not, they're not making money, but you're costing them money. Wow. Good to know. I think most people do not know that. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Ugh. So my favorite of the week is a book yeah. called Sweet Sleep. Oh. Well, um, I have to look at it because I'm trying to remember the author off the top of my head and it's not working. My memory is crap right now. <sighs> Diana West, Linda J. Smith, and Diane 
Weisinger. Uh-huh. Because I'm a sleep coach as well, as a lactation consultant, so I, I work with a lot of families around sleep, and this is one of the favorite books that I recommend. It is written specifically for breastfeeding families who want more sleep without resorting to some sort of cry it out program. Kind of thing. Excellent. And I really like it. It goes over all the science and the research behind all the different methods. So it's pretty sound and it's a nice, easy read. It's a little, I don't know. I don't know how to describe books like this, but it's a little like um, puppies and rainbows and unicorns. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I just right. want a parenting book that has a lot of sarcasm in it because I feel like parenting is full of like sarcasm and mishaps and not all lovey-dovey and kumbaya and let's hold hands and I feel so in love with your baby. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. I want I want like a sleep book that just says this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's going to suck, but here's what we can yes. try, you know, yes. instead of like feel guilty for knowing and realizing it right. sucks. Right. Yeah. Not, not it's like, oh, doesn't your baby look angelic when she's sleeping? Yeah. Yeah, she does. Thanks. Thanks for right. <laughs> Which is never, not enough. Right. Happening too frequently to really take it in to appreciate it. Right. So. Right. It's like uh-huh. when, when people say to like new parents, like, oh, you're going to miss these days. And it's like, well, of course I am. But that doesn't mean I have to enjoy every freaking second of it. That's right. Exactly. It's hard. It is hard. You were hitting the nail on the head. This is a whole nother topic. Like, yes. We kind of, I kind of do nail have, that. Like, of podcast recordings all on parenting and like the reality of it. Yeah. Like, do I miss the baby days? There's a lot about it that I miss. I miss yep. the baby smell. I miss cuddling. I miss nursing. I do miss co-sleeping. I did co-sleep with my kids. But that doesn't mean I want to go back and live it again. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, I'm, I'm done having kids. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Totally. Like a day here and there. But that would be enough. Yeah. I'm enjoying this. And that was so much work. Yeah. Those were exhausting years. Right. I don't it's miss, like, totally not it. being able to shower for days. Oh my gosh, no kidding. Yeah. Spit up in your hair <laughs> on your clothes. And I swear, like when you're breastfeeding, you have like a certain smell. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, I don't miss that. Yeah. I don't miss like having to leave the house and it being a 30 minute production. That's something yeah, I or 30, miss. an hour and 30. Yes. <laughs> and then yeah. they poop through the car seat uh-huh. and leaving the house yeah. after all. So you didn't really need to pick up that whatever. Yeah. yeah. So to all you parents in the trenches out there, like, yeah, it does go by fast. And yeah, there's a lot about it that you're going to miss and that you should cherish. But if you're like, this freaking sucks, it doesn't mean yeah. that you're not a good parent. or <laughs> That's absolutely right. A hundred percent. You're normal. <laughs> exactly. And please admit it to us so we feel better about ourselves because it is the truth. Mm-hmm. It's just... Yep, I hear ya. Um, time for our question of the week. Okay. So this week's question was sent to me through Instagram. And the question is, my eight-week-old is rejecting the bottle and I'm going back to work in about three weeks. What do I do? <laughs> you know what? I'm, so, I'm seeing so much more bottle rejection nowadays, mm-hmm. I think, because of COVID. Because everybody's home. And so yeah. we're not, like, giving the baby bottles because you're just home. So, right, right. 
I feel like I'm seeing a lot more. Yeah. Have you ever had a baby that rejected the bottle, Nicole? Um, I did such a mix of breastfeeding and supplementing because I had so many issues with breastfeeding that my babies took them early. Um, and one of them was the first one. He was my longest breastfed baby. Um, he went through a little bit of a time where he didn't want to take one. And I just did a lot of skin to skin with him and mm. got him to take a bottle via skin to skin. Nice. So Yeah. And a lot of times if you Google it and look online, it, it you know, Professor Google kind of present it as a personality thing. Like, oh, your baby doesn't want the bottle because this is what they prefer. And sometimes it is personality, but I'm finding a lot more that there's something else going on, right? Because bottles are so easy. They're so easy. So sometimes babies are having trouble taking one because it's like a high palate would be one example that's really sensitive or... Right. Right. So some suggestions that I would try would try when the baby's sleepy, try using movement bouncing. When you're breastfeeding, put the take the nipple out of the bottle and put it over your own nipple and see if the yeah. baby will latch on and suck that way. Yeah. And then I would say if those suggestions don't work, then definitely connect with an IVCLC. Yeah. Yeah. Rule out any physical reasons why they're not taking the bottle. Agreed. And my second summer did not take the bottle. Really? He cried and cried. Well, it wasn't work. And for a second there, for like a week, we were debating whether or not I should quit my job. Right. Um. But eventually she took it. Yeah. Yeah. It can be very stressful for parents when they're trying to go back to work with a baby that is refusing to take bottles. And Mm -hmm. in a few cases that were extreme, I had a mom in one of my groups whose two children, absolutely, no matter what she did, never would take a bottle. And she, of the, well, their daycare that she used for each of them was like half a mile from her work. So Mm -hmm. she would breastfeed, go back, breastfeed for a few minutes, go back, breastfeed, like take oh, wow. breaks. They would just have to go get, because they just wouldn't, they wouldn't take in anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've, I've worked with a few families where the nanny or if it was the partner, <clears throat> the other parents staying home with the baby would bring the baby to the mom's work. Yeah. But, you know, you have to have like a really flexible job and understanding workplace yeah. For a lot of people, that's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. So connect with an IBCLC, get that sorted out. You do not want to wait, you know, five days before you're going back to work to really find (laughs) someone to help you with this. I might even get started on that now. Sometimes it can take some time. Right. That was a great question. Yep. Okay. So up next, we'll be interviewing Michelle Stern. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Hey everyone, I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information, and also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solids webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage and pelvic floor health.
So this week, I'm so happy to introduce Michelle Stern from Pooch Parenting. Michelle is a certified professional dog trainer and a certified dog behavior consultant, and she is here to talk to us about dogs and babies. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for agreeing to do this episode. I've been really excited about this topic because I get a lot of questions. I teach like prenatal classes and I get a lot of questions about like clearly that I don't know all the answers to (laughs) about introducing the dog to the baby. Good. Well, it's funny that you said that. I just finished teaching a workshop for baby professionals actually about dogs and babies. So I'll give you a copy of that just to watch just for fun, because I think it might help you answer some of these questions. But I love the fact that you're here talking to me because a lot of people don't even know that something like dog and baby specialist even exists. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons I'm so thrilled to be here is that we can educate your listeners and help them to know that, you know, while there are a plethora of dog trainers out there, not very many of them are super comfortable with babies or child development. And so they may or may not really understand the different problems that new parents face when they're bringing home a new baby or when the baby starts to roll around or becomes more mobile, because at every stage of development, you experience Mm -hmm. different challenges. And so because I'm a mom myself, I have one biological and one adopted child, and I was a teacher for 16 years. I've got the child and teaching adults part down, Mm -hmm. and now I'm a certified professional dog trainer. And so I've got the dog side of it down too. So I'm so happy to be here as a support person for your listeners, because there are a ton of questions that come up and they're very consistent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As soon as I came across your Instagram profile, I was like, this is perfect. And I love your Instagram. (laughs) You have like such great informative posts on there. I like your colors. It's very like visual. I love it. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. It's been a work in progress. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram. What I love about Facebook is I feel like I can really have a lot of great conversations with people. And on Instagram, it's a little bit different. And I am starting to develop that now. But for a while, I was really struggling with, okay, what do I put? Do I put things just that look good or that people want to see? But do they actually read it? So it's a really interesting. It's great to hear that you learned something from it. That motivates me. That's kind of like a dog treat. You just gave me a dog treat for (laughs) good behavior. And that means I'm going to continue to do that. So thank you. So how did you, you come from a teaching background. How did you kind of go into dog training? Dogs were always my passion. You know, when I was a little kid, I was going to be a vet. That was it. I was going to be a vet. And then organic chemistry in college happened. And that sort of (laughs) derailed me a little bit. I feel like that's one of those classes that just, it breaks the path of like, Mm -hmm. who thinks they're going to do something versus who's actually capable of doing it. So I ended up teaching high school biology, which was a great way for me to teach people about animals and the environment Mm -hmm. and animal behavior, which was something I cared deeply about. But it wasn't until a girlfriend of mine had a new dog and she was having some problems with her dog and she asked me who she should call for help. And I thought about my mentor that I used to have a long time ago. And then that ended up making me think, you know what? I miss this stuff. And I started taking more classes from my mentor again and ended up turning me on a whole new path. So I'm able to take all my teaching experience now, but now I put it through a dog lens. So I'm so glad that my friend ended up with a dog who had a challenge because Mm -hmm. that helped me get to where I am right now. It's so funny how life works like that. Like unexpectedly, you're just kind of like sidelined into this thing that you never thought you would be. Exactly. but But it makes so much sense when I think about it. 
And everybody who knew me as a kid is like, oh, of course you're a dog trainer now. Mm -hmm. Like that makes perfect sense. Cause Mm -hmm. that was my thing. I was the animal kid. And how many dogs do you have? I have two dogs. I have a 16 month old border terrier who may start squeaking. And then I have a 12 year old giant rescue dog Mm -hmm. that we got when she had little broken leg with a pink cast on it as a foster. And then I ended up falling in love, of course, as you do. Mm -hmm. And we ended up keeping her. So she's 12 Mm -hmm. now. So she's slowing down, which is kind of sad. So when a family, let's say a family connects with you before a baby arrives, how do you Mm -hmm. kind of guide them for preparing the dog to meet the baby? What are some tips and tricks? So good. When somebody reaches out to me and says they're either pregnant or they're in the process of adopting, I do like the big old happy dance because I think, wow, that family is going to be spectacular because they're thinking ahead and they're realizing that their dog maybe was their first baby and they want to make sure that they're able to cope with the emotional and, you know, new time challenges, you know, the parents are going to be stretched for time once the new baby comes. And so a big concern that a lot of new families have is how, how am I going to spend time? How am I going to give my dog enough love? Like I used to, I ended up making a class for that actually, because it was the first thing I did when the pandemic started and that we couldn't go anywhere is I made a class that's literally called preparing dog for a new baby. But what's included in that are things like, what are some training tips that your dog should actually know? to make your life easier. So let's pretend you're dealing with an exploded baby diaper, which happens all the time, Mm -hmm. no matter what we do to prevent it, it always happens. And then you have this dog who's unruly or who gets up in your space or who steals things that could be disgusting. (laughs) So I was thinking, okay, (laughs) totally a disgusting combination. So I was thinking, okay, well, what can I train help parents do to get their dog ready to deal with maybe situation like that? Or How do I help the dog cope with things like bath time or meal time? Even if you're breastfeeding the baby, for example, if you have a dog who's annoying and gets in your way and tries to poke you for attention and you lose that latch you just tried to get for 20 minutes, I mean, you get mad when that happens. And so, you know, by teaching the dog to be comfortable behind a barrier, for example, or to do a variety of behaviors where we can ask the dog to be calm or to have a special place where they like to lie down or to be polite when you have door visitors, because we we all know that when you have a new baby, you're going to have more visitors than usual, whether it's delivery drivers bringing you presents or equipment, or whether it's people who, and now COVID is weird, but when people come and they want to see the baby, of course, mm-hmm. but you can ask them to help you with your dog. Yeah, That's a good tip. That is a good tip because <laughs> A lot of people just feel overwhelmed. And when visitors come, it's just, it adds to the overwhelm. And so I now like to call visitors helpers. And if they're not going to be a helper, then they don't get to come and visit. So that helps a lot. Yeah. I preach that all the time. I love that you get into like the nitty gritty details, because I think what the more of the questions that I get are more like general, how do we keep the baby safe around the dog? Mm -hmm. But I love that you get into like the things that I don't think parents are thinking of, like how to prevent the dog from marrying dog baby poop everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's, I have to say, that's the perk of working with somebody like me is because I literally lived all of that. I had dogs when my kids were little and I didn't know then what I know now. And gosh, my life would have been a lot easier and less gross (laughs) if I did know those things, you know? And so parents don't know what they don't know. And so I'm here to guide them through very specifically. Okay. What is your plan when you need to fold laundry? Where is the baby going to be? Where is the dog going to be? What is your plan 
you know, when you're trying to make dinner or when you're trying to give yourself a shower, like who goes where? And you have to figure that out and you have to use separation. You have to keep everybody safe. So not ever leaving dog and baby alone at the same time ever, especially when you fall asleep, even if it's by accident, falling asleep on the couch, you have to make sure that everybody is in a specific place so that nothing tragic can happen because it does happen. And I've been actually talking about it. I just shared a terrible story on my new podcast about this exact thing, about a baby that Mm -hmm. was killed at night by the dog because nobody was watching and the dog was in the same room. Mm -hmm. It was horrible. I think I think I had read a story, although this might not be the same one, where there is a family who had just brought their baby home and they were all kind of hanging out in the bed with the dog. No, what happened in this story was the infant was sleeping in a swing next to the bed. And the family's dog was sleeping in the same room and they woke up to a commotion and the dog had bitten the baby a few times. And we're not entirely sure what happened. I go into my speculations in the podcast episode, but the main reason that I talked about that, because it sounds like a super morbid podcast topic. So I apologize for that. But the reason that I even did an episode about it is because if I can save one baby's life by teaching a family what they should or should not do, And I'm going to talk about something. And I even cried during the episode. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. just how I am. I got really upset. And so, so thinking through before, and this is another thing that's part of my class too. And you're asking like, how does a family prepare? And one thing that a family really can do is think through sleeping arrangements in advance. Because if your dog is used to sleeping in your bed all the time, and suddenly you're like, okay, out you go. The dog's going to be like, what the heck? And the dog may resent the baby even more. The dog might be like, this kid has changed my whole life and I hate this kid. As opposed to let's make all the adjustments before the baby even shows up. And then the baby has nothing to do with this adjustment in the dog's schedule. And so there's no reason for the dog to have any negative feelings about the baby. Because even though you and I know that the baby was the reason for these changes, the dog doesn't know that. So it sounds like the earlier parents start to prepare the dog the better. Yeah. I mean, honestly, in my dream world, you get that positive pregnancy test and you start preparing, but I do get calls. I mean, there's not to say that there's anything wrong with asking for help ever. You know, I've gotten calls from people who say my baby is being born next week. And I'm like, oh gosh, we have so much work to do. And it's impossible. I mean, you have to understand that you're not going to make the progress you need to make in one week before your baby shows up. But as long as you continue to put effort into it, whether the baby's there or not, no matter what, you can always start training. And so please don't give up and feel like, oh, I didn't do anything. I need to get rid of my dog or I need to make some rash decision because it is going to be a hard adjustment. I mean, let's just own it and acknowledge that it is really hard to have the dog and the baby at the same time. It just is. And you're going to be overwhelmed for a little while and that's okay. And it gets easier and you learn to adjust. I mean, it's like having a newborn in general is super hard. You no longer know up from down and you're tired and just functioning is hard. And then you kind of have like extra guilt because you're worried about your dog. So it's Mm -hmm. extra hard. That's why it's really nice to have me on your team because I can just like hug you virtually and support you and say, this is okay. And here are... 2000 other people in the exact same situation as you, and we can all support you. And what do you say? How do you guide parents? Because sometimes I, if I'm working with a family prenatally, I do suggest like that they connect with someone who can help them. And 
sometimes they're kind of like, oh, we've had our dog for, you know, eight years and she's the sweetest thing ever. And she's going to be fine. We don't need to do anything to prepare. She like rests her head on my belly and feels the baby around and we're very connected and close. And that always makes me feel nervous a little bit because I feel like there is an unpredictable nature to, well, any animal really. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, no, I love that you're asking this question and I do encounter that. I call it an obstacle for sure, because these parents are wearing rose colored glasses and they're hoping for the best. And I want you to think about hoping for the best, getting in the car without a seatbelt on or hoping for the best and having a pregnancy without ever getting checked by the doctor or taking prenatal vitamins or taking care of your nutrition, right? That you can sure hope for the best and that may or may not work out for you. But the cost of the mistake of hoping for the best could literally be the life of your child or the life of your dog. Because children, well, dogs that bite children or babies end up usually euthanized or killed because they get turned into shelters or animal control gets word of some tragic accident or whatever, and then the dog's euthanized. And so if you can be proactive and use baby gates and sit in between your dog and your baby, instead of just having them on the floor together while your baby's on the mat on tummy time, and the dog's just hanging out next to the baby, I mean, hope for the best all you want, but that ER visit is not worth it. Right, right. Or worse. And most parents are themselves taking like parenting classes, like newborn care classes or child, like they are preparing themselves. So it only Mm -hmm. makes sense that the dog, because as a parent, you know, you're going to love your baby and you know, you're going to take good care of your baby, but you still take those classes to prepare yourself. So why not prepare the dog instead of making assumptions? I agree. I mean, I think that should be normal. I mean, I think we should normalize it. Like you have a baby shower. That's normal. You take your dog to the vet. That's normal you prepare your dog for your baby, that should be normal, right? And it's also a misconception that some people think, oh, well, my dog's a nanny dog breed and and is going to take care of my child. And that's a really misguided approach because it is your job to take care of your baby. It is not your dog's job. A lot of dogs do have jobs, right? They're bred to be herding dogs, for example, or guarding dogs, or they protect your house from thieves or whatever. There are dogs that have been bred for hundreds of years for certain jobs. And being a babysitter for your baby is not one of those. That's your Mm -hmm. job. And so it can be really challenging. If a dog thinks that you are not going to take care of something, if the baby's crying and the dog is getting worked up, then there's a chance the dog is going to act up because the dog thinks, well, I've got to do something. You're not doing anything. And your job is to tell the dog, you know what? I've got this under control. I'm going to give you these three things to do right now while I attend to the baby and everything is fine. I've got things taken care of. You're going to be fine. And the dog's like, oh, thank God. Because I really just want to lay in the sun over there and not worry about it. Right, right. And I can say like, just like a little personal story. My 14 year old, she was 12 at the time. We were at a family member's house and she was bit in the face by the family member's dog. And luckily it wasn't serious. The dog got her like right above the eye and right below the eye, but you know, facial wounds bleed a lot. So when it first happened and she was covering her eye and there's like blood everywhere. And for a second there, I thought the dog had taken out her eye completely. And we had to rush her to the emergency room and it was not 
fun. And she still today has a fear of dogs. Right. And it's something that I can't stress enough to parents, like better to be safe than sorry, better to be mm-hmm. prepared because you don't want to be, it was one of the most terrifying moments in my life to be, to be honest, where I'm like, Oh, I believe oh my gosh. you. So take that in mind. And, and as someone, when I was a kid too, I was bit by a dog. And so I, I'm always nervous around dogs a little bit, but yeah, I was bitten in the face. I was bitten in the face by my best friend's dog when I was a kid mm-hmm. and the parents weren't watching. The parents weren't there and I loved dogs. And so now that I know what I know now, I know it was actually my fault and I feel horrible about it that I wasn't respecting the dog's space. The dog probably gave me a lot of warnings that I didn't know how to recognize. And so parents need to educate themselves on what dog body language looks like. What does it look like when a dog is stressed? What does it look like when a dog is worried and wants you to back away? And what can happen if you don't heed those warnings? Because dogs never bite without warning. They don't. And I often get phone calls from frantic parents saying, I was right there and I watched it happen and the dog bit him out of nowhere, but it's, it's never the case. And it's just that we were not able to read the signs before mm. they escalated and the dog felt threatened enough that it needed to use its teeth to tell the person to back away. And it's often a toddler because they're at face height much of the time. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the body language? Because I often see pictures, there's like a common theme picture where the toddler and the dog are like nose to nose and it's so cute. But then there's always people in the comments saying, will you look at those dog's ears? This is not safe. Please don't let your toddler do that. So, and I don't know how to read dog body language. But can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, yeah. So first of all, I want to address just the fact that that kind of picture gets the this is cute response. And I think we need as an online community, as whether you consider yourself one or not, as a podcast host, I consider you an influencer, that we have the ability to alter how people perceive the world based on educated, science-based facts, right? And dog training is very strongly based in science and study, right? And you can understand that based on your field of expertise as well. That anyway, so we need to influence how people see those images and we need to help people not see those as cute anymore. Because when people think those are cute, then they're normalized and then they're shared and they're liked and they have a bunch of likes and a bunch of follows and a bunch of retweets and shares and all this stuff. And that promotes, it perpetuates the wrong idea that this is okay. And it's not okay. It's absolutely not okay. Dogs actually, in terms of communication, dogs perceive direct eye contact as threatening. And so when you have a toddler gazing into the eyes of the dog and they are literally nose to nose, they're doing exactly what another dog would do who is threatening this dog. Now, if you're being threatened by a dog and you are a dog and you have all those teeth, you're going to likely use those teeth. And so there are different types of body language that some dogs do. Now, some dogs are tolerant and it's good that they're tolerant and they don't, not every dog will bite a toddler who is doing this. However, just because your dog is tolerant does not mean that's good enough. And I think that we need to raise the bar. Would you say that as a mom, your safety from your partner was, if it was just tolerable, that that was okay? Is that the role model you want to set for your kids? Is it just okay to like, you know, be freezing at home and starving at home or do you want to be thriving, right? Like Mm -hmm. there are so many things where tolerant or tolerable is absolutely not enough. 
And yeah, maybe it keeps you alive, but I would like to see people set the bar higher. So while dogs may tolerate this, they're going to start to indicate with their body different things. So their jaw may close tightly. So you may see a tense jaw. You may see furrows in the brow, like over the eyebrows where they get all crinkly, like they're tight. You know how like a mad person gets like, think about some evil comic book character and he's scowling and he's like, and you can imagine that's sort of how those wrinkles in that brow look. The dogs can do that same thing. You can see tension in the forehead muscles as the ears start to pull back. So generally a dog who's worried the ears may pin back. You may see other things that you may not see in that kind of image on social media, but the tail may be tucked down or the dog may be starting to crouch or lean away. And then a big common one is that the dog flicks its tongue or licks its lips or that it starts to yawn. And both of those Uh are indicators of stress. Now, there's a giant misconception here that a dog in this case, imagine nose to nose with a baby and the dog, let's say, starts to lick the baby. This is not kissing. This is not kissing, right? So I need you to understand that dogs will often flick their tongues to say, I'm uncomfortable. And sometimes they will lick a child or a baby to say, please back off, back off. You are in my space. And what you get is you get these comments. Oh my God, the dog's kissing the baby. That's the cutest thing I've ever seen. So what can happen is you have this licking and people think it's so cute and they think, oh, the dog loves your baby. And that's a misconception. So you often end up with this licking that is actually the dog trying to push the baby away. Give a warning. Mm -hmm. You know, what's so funny is I grew up riding horses and horses also, if they're irritated, they will pin their ears back. So whenever I see that in a dog, that always made me super nervous, even though I wasn't sure if that meant the same message. It does. Yeah. I've seen that in horses too. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But I would never have guessed that the licking was a warning sign. Yes, it is. Okay. So tell us a little bit about like, cause I get a lot of questions about, should we bring a blanket home from the hospital that smells like baby to let the dog sniff? I'm sure you right. heard that advice. I hear that a lot. Yes. That is one of the number one things that parents will find online when they're trying to say, what should I do? And if it makes you feel better to do that, then go ahead and do that. But it is not going to make much of a difference. It can even be dangerous. So I want you to imagine a couple different scenarios. A parent who brings home a blanket is likely going to be rushing. They're visiting the dogs to let them out to pee, and then they have to rush back right back to the hospital, for example. And so they may bring home an item, maybe a hat or a blanket for the baby to sniff, and then they have to leave. So if the parent leaves a blanket for the dog and goes back to the hospital, you have no idea what the dog is going to do with that blanket. If the dog, for some reason, thinks that blanket is a toy or begins to play with that blanket, then we can have a problem moving forward because at some point there will be a baby wrapped in that blanket. So if you have a dog who thinks a blanket is a toy and then you have a baby that you're carrying in the house who has a little piece of blanket hanging down, the dog may try to grab it or pull it or play with it, which could be devastating. So that's one caveat. Uh If you insist on bringing home a blanket, then I would encourage you to put it high up on a shelf somewhere on top of a bookcase or maybe even in a cabinet with the door, whatever they can smell from anywhere and the dog can smell it. But I need people to remember that just because the dog smells something 
doesn't mean it's going to like that thing that it's smelling. Mm -hmm. So it's just food for thought that you can smell the baby. It doesn't mean you're going to like the baby. So if you wanted to put in the effort and put some time into it to try to make that smell a positive thing, then you need to really take the time to do that, which means I present the blanket, I give you a treat. I let you sniff the blanket, I give you a treat. You sniff the blanket, I give you a treat over and over and over again. And what this is going to do is hopefully build a positive association that this blanket means good things are going to happen. But again, if you're not careful with that introduction of this blanket means good things are going to happen, the dog may not understand that when there's a baby in that blanket, that Mm -hmm. it's maybe an unsafe item to interact with. So such a good point. Yeah. 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 I mean, they can smell it and that's fine. I do also think that people should probably know that mothers tend to drip a teeny bit of amniotic fluid along the way. And there are baby cells in that. And so this is not an entirely unfamiliar scent. And when the parents do come home, the smell of the baby will approach the dog before the baby even comes in the house. So the smell of the baby will be on the parent. But I think there's a a lot of too much, maybe too much attention put on this whole introduction. I think it's great, you know, that you're thinking about it. But again, I caution you to be worried a little bit about the cute introductions you see on social media are Mm -hmm. likely to be dangerous ones and that you should really just focus on the dog can sniff the baby and then the dog should move away and Mm -hmm. have the dog leashed. It shouldn't be a big thing. Mm -hmm. It really shouldn't. So other things I've heard parents doing is like playing the sound of a baby crying before Mm -hmm. the baby arrives or you know, if they plan on using a baby swing, turning it on and letting it run, are those helpful or are those not helpful as well? It depends on how you do them. So it depends on your dog. It depends on if you're noticing your dog's body language. So if you're a border collie, for example, you may want to chase a moving swing. So then it would be a matter of getting the dog comfortable with seeing it and not wanting to chase it. And again, that's going to take some effort or maybe using a baby gate to separate the dog from the moving swing to get the dog used to it at a safe distance. The baby crying thing can be helpful, but your baby will sound different to Mm -hmm. that baby, whatever baby it is that they're listening to. So, I mean, it can be helpful, but it's your baby has its own sound. So that will influence things too a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point. One of the questions that we got was there is a family who has a dog who barks and gets anxious every time the baby cries. So how would you Mm -hmm. kind of give general, I know you have to give general in this situation, but yeah, I do. There's a couple things there. Some dogs feel your stress. So if you are stressed when the baby cries, then the dog could be responding to that. And if that's the case, that's a very normal response because I remember when my babies were brand new to me, I had no idea what I was doing. You probably remember that with yours, where you just, you can be familiar with babies and still feel overwhelmed because it's your baby. Exactly. (laughs) And your response will influence the dog. So that's just something to think about. A lot of dogs are really uncertain and it's a scary thing. So there is some little creature in there that is making all the sound. Some dogs are predatory and that sounds like a prey sound. So we need to try to you know, with barking, the way that, you know, as dog trainers, we approach barking is we try to first identify the why. So why is the dog barking? Is it because it's afraid? Is it because it's predatory? Is it because it's territorial or whatever? 
And then we address the solutions based on that. So if a dog is afraid, there will be a different way to handle that versus if the dog sees it as a squirrel, that's a very different matter. And, and they should call me or another professional right away Mm -hmm. to deal with that. If the dog is barking because it's aroused or excited, or if it seems like it's, if you have a dog who's really staring at the baby, you need to get help really quick for that. And gates and stuff. The staring can be because it's new and different, but it could be that it's predatory. And that's something we need to avoid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could just be curious, but I would redirect the the dog away from the baby as much as possible. And when in doubt, I would leash the dog as much as you possibly can. And do you find that the dogs can become territorial over the baby? Have you ever seen that happen? I have seen dogs, well, I think what you're asking me, and I want to just clarify to make sure that I'm actually answering the right question. I think what you're asking me is, have I seen dogs that are overprotective of the baby that are worried about the baby? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. So we call that resource guarding and that can be a big problem, right? So there are dogs that decide that the baby is theirs to protect. And if that baby is in a vulnerable position, that they won't let anyone approach it, including the parents. And that's really dangerous because it's obviously not the dog's job to take care of the baby. It's the parent's job to take care of the baby. And so we need to change how the dog perceives that the baby is not an item and it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And the only way though, to address that and to help the dog through those feelings is you have to help that dog not feel threatened every time you approach your own baby. So separating the dog and baby and not allowing them to have any access together in that case is absolutely crucial because Mm -hmm. a dog will repeat behavior that they practice. And so if a dog practices being overprotective of that baby, then they will continue to be so, and it might escalate and become dangerous. Yeah. So my job is I do breastfeeding support in home. So I go into people's homes all day. And one of my policies that parents are told about before I come over is they need to have their dog kind of put away. Mm-hmm. because it only took me showing up once at a house and having the dog not right next to me, but a little bit across in the room, snarling and growling the mm-hmm. whole time before I was like, I can't do this again. And, you know, this particular family was like, oh, she's just, you know, protective and she won't really bite you. But as someone who has mm-hmm. been bit by a dog who was <laughs> never thought to have to bite someone, you know, I was really, really uncomfortable. And that's when I kind of put in my policy of like dogs need to be put away. And you should have been uncomfortable. And that dog is going to be a liability when that child has play dates and there are people that come over and it's not something that you can just explain away and pretend it's not a problem because Mm -hmm. it can be really dangerous, especially with kids. I just think the stakes are too high. Like I said, to hope for the best. I don't think hoping is a very effective strategy here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We had another question about germs. I think you kind of answered the question about, should you let your dog lick the baby? But this this specific question was wondering about like germs, like exposing the baby to- No, it's a good question. It's totally a good question. And I actually asked a pediatrician about this because she has toddler and she has a dog and we were having an interview together and we were discussing germs. So her take on it was that she doesn't mind when her dog licks her child now that he, after he was maybe five, four or five months old, because up until that point, and I could have the dates kind of wrong, maybe it was three months old, but 
in the very beginning, when they're fresh out, they don't have their own really strong immune system yet, and they're still building it. And so, you know, I'm going to sound really gross, but dogs do lick their own butts and they eat poop and they roll in dead squirrels and they do gross things. And so you don't necessarily want your dog to come in from the backyard, having just licked something disgusting and then go lick your baby in the face. So, you know, she didn't mind, however, if the dog sniffed or licked the baby's feet, but not hands because hands go in the mouth and not Mm -hmm. face because the face is just too vulnerable anyway. And from an immune perspective, her feeling was, is that the germs from a dog's mouth after the baby was a certain age, three or four or five months old, it was not a problem. And there are some studies that have come out that have said that children who are raised in homes with pet dogs do have a stronger immune system. So I do Mm -hmm. think that that's super. Yeah, I was reading a study, and this was a while ago, but it was um, kids who are raised in a household with dogs have a lower risk of respiratory infections, which I thought was really... And after a certain point, it's like, it's the same microbiome, right? After a certain point, once the baby's like crawling around and they're just like picking up on all the household germs and microbiome and stuff like that. So I imagine at that point, it's not that big of a deal. Right. So if a dog does come in from like the backyard and let's say the parent is breastfeeding the baby on the couch and the dog comes up and like licks the baby's feet, is that like the same kind of sign of aggression as the one you were talking about before? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, there are some licks, not all licks are created equal. And so as with everything with dogs and kids, context is everything. So we need to look at what has been going on prior to that incident, right? A dog who comes in the house is like, hey, mom, hey, kid lick the foot as I walk past to go lay on the ground. Mm -hmm. Totally fine. That's just sort of a, hello, hi, mom. Hi, baby. Hi. Well, you know how you make your rounds. And a lot of pet dogs will do that. They come in the house and that's just part of their routine. So little things like that are not a problem. It becomes more of a problem when it's a showdown, you know, when it's Mm -hmm. like, I am engaged with you and our eyes are locked and, or, or, if a child, a toddler or baby tries to take a toy from a dog, I mean, this is one of my non-negotiables, right? If a dog is eating or sleeping or has a treasured item, no go. Like kids are mm-hmm. not allowed near that dog. Like you do not approach that dog in those circumstances. And so a lot of families, again, are sort of have a more lackadaisical, like, oh, whatever. We all live one big happy family and we share toys. And because the trick here also is that dog toys and baby toys look a lot alike. I mean, it's ridiculous, you know, same textures, same sounds. It's terrible. And so depending on what's happening, if you have a dog chewing a special toy and then the child comes over and tries to take it, ooh, then I I get so nervous. But if it's just a quick lick as I walk past, totally a different situation. Right. Yeah. And that's the situation that happened with my, when my daughter was bit, she had gone with the dog owner on a walk with the dog. And then when they came back in, they had given the dog a treat. So she gave the dog the treat and then went to go pet his head. And he uh, must yes. have thought she was reaching for. She was going to take it. Yeah. yeah and that's exactly. when he like lunged at. And he was a pretty big dog too. Well, yeah. And that would explain the location of the bite. Bites to the face are very common. You know, we get a lot of eyebrows and we get a lot of cheekbones and a lot of noses because the nose sticks out and dogs don't miss. So if a dog intends to bite you, it will not miss. So if somebody says, oh, we got lucky and the dog just snapped, well, the dog meant to just snap. It didn't mean to bite. You know, if it bites, it's because it wanted to. And it's because it felt that you needed that level of warning to back off because it was really worried about what you were about to do. If you think about it, it's kind of considerate that they give warnings to us. Oh, it absolutely is. 
Because I'll hear a lot from people. I get calls from people who say, my dog is growling at my toddler. This is unacceptable. What do I do to stop it? And I say, well, would you take all the batteries out of your smoke alarms? No. Okay. Well, then let's not ask the dog to stop it, right? You need that warning. That dog is communicating with you. So you should thank your dog and say, oh my gosh, good job, buddy. Thanks for letting me know. I'm so glad you told me how you're feeling. I will not allow my toddler to do that thing to you ever again. Thanks for telling me. And then problem solved, right? You are acknowledging your dog. I mean, obviously they don't speak our language, but the idea being, if your dog notices when I communicate, my needs are met, then your dog begins to trust you and begins to think, I don't even have to growl because I've not been pushed to the point where I feel like I have to growl anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's the win, right? So the way that I get people to sort of, it's a mindset shift. It's not, how do I get them to stop growling? It's how do I get them to stop feeling bad enough that they need to growl? And it's generally because their kid is doing something wrong. It's not because the dog is doing something wrong. Right. Do you ever find that you hear a lot of stories where the dog bites, not without warning because they're caught off guard, I guess, like if they're sleeping on the floor and the toddler runs by and steps on their tail? Yes. Yes. That happens a lot. One of the most common ones is a dog sleeping like at your feet on the sofa and the toddler tumbles off the sofa and lands on the dog. Or like you said, steps on a tail, or if your dog sleeps on your bed and the kids are running around and the kids are just being wild and they're jumping around and they jump on the bed and the dog is on the bed. It's often these big surprises. And I think about it too. I mean, I was pretty cranky to be honest, like my little secret with you and your listeners. Like I was not very nice when my toddlers would stand at the side of my bed and stare at me and be like, mom. And I'd wake up out of a deep sleep, terrified and I mean, I wasn't very nice. I was like, oh, what do you want? Why are you here? It's kind and of like children of the Cornish when they stand there staring. Totally, they stand there and you wake up to see these eyes like right yes. at your face and it's terrifying and it's unexpected. And I'm not a kind of person who likes surprises. And so you are not going to ever take me into the fun house at the carnival because I'll have mm-hmm. a nervous breakdown. And dogs, dogs don't like to be surprised either. And so it tends to work out best if they know you're coming. And that's just generally why I have a, if a dog is resting, then nobody goes near the dog, period. Um, But toddlers are hard to contain. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the reality of it. They're very hard to contain. And that's why, you know, I should be a paid spokesperson for pens and baby gates. I'm not, of course, but I should be because I promote the heck out of them constantly. Mm -hmm. Wow. This has been such great information. And you have your own podcast right? I do. It's new. It's called the Pooch Parenting Podcast. Yeah. And and it's just, it's for parents with dogs. And so it's going to be, you know, we have four episodes out as of this recording. They come out every Thursday. I will have some parenting experts and some dog experts, all with the goal of helping you to love living with your dog again and to Mm -hmm. feel safe and to feel less chaos because it's hard. I mean, juggling Mm -hmm. dogs and kids is really hard. So I have some really great experts coming on, you know, like parenting, positive parenting coaches and mindset coaches, and then also some really amazing dog trainers that can give some different perspectives. Like we had somebody on, well, I just did the interview, but it's not scheduled yet about barking because a lot of parents get really frustrated if they have a newborn who just went down for a nap and then the dog starts barking. Mm -hmm. So we have a whole episode dedicated to helping parents with that as well. That's awesome. 
And you have classes, correct, on here? I do. I've got a couple of different classes. For your listeners, I'll mention the, the two that I think would be the most useful. One is called Preparing Dog for New Baby. And then the other one is a single workshop. And that one is called Your First Week Home with Baby and Dog. And that talks about the introduction. I talk about the blanket. We do the introduction. We talk about safe sleep, how to set yourself up to like get through it. We talk about visitors being helpers and what they can do to help you with your dog so your dog doesn't feel so jealous and sad. Oh, that all sounds like amazing and needed, like necessary. Yeah, it is. And nobody knows. I'm so excited you had me here today because I just think new parents will find so much relief to know that this exists for them. And where can parents find you if they want to connect with you or view the courses? Where's your social media, things like that? Yeah. So my website is poochparenting.net. And on my website, you will find links to my podcast and links to all of my online courses and my membership as well. So all of that is through poochparenting.net. And then if you are on Instagram, I'm poochparenting and I'm also poochparenting on Facebook. Great. And I'll put all those links in the show notes so they can find you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was such a great conversation. I learned a lot. Good. And I, I wish I had spoken to you, you know, when my kids were born, we didn't, we had cats, we didn't really have yeah. dogs, but it would have been nice to know that information we have. Good. And you know, if your listeners have questions, you know, if you share this, like on Instagram, for example, and your listeners have questions, they can ask them and I will try to pop in. You can let me know that the questions are rolling in and then I'll come in and answer some of those for them in oh, case they awesome. need some support. Great. Well, thank you so much. This was, thank you. This was fun. <laughs> And I your really dog, I saw your dog pop up on the screen. Super cute. He's really cute. He was being very naughty because he's a puppy, but that's okay. That's how it goes. I'm always keeping it real. I'm going to be honest about that. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media, at Shelly Taft IBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.